What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, have I told you about that dream I had the other day? What dream? So I had this dream. It was a sweaty dream? No. Nah. Okay. I was on this adventure. Yep. Well, I was in Germany during this dream. You're in Germany? Yeah. Were you and wearing I, Lederhausen? I was, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, definitely was. And I was drinking steins of beer and I just got this overwhelming need to buy a dog. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So I just popped on over to House Hamburg Shepherds. Oh, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd have to. And I know that they have the best German Shepherds, but to German Shepherds. So I bought one of their Dutchies. Oh, man. The best. Shit-mouthing German Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so then in this dream, I, I finished my giant beer and mm-hmm. I took off my Lena Hosen. Yep. And I got that Dutchie mm-hmm. and I put it on a plane. Yep. Because they can ship them anywhere. It turns out I didn't have to even be there to buy this dog in this dream. Right. And I, I flew it over to the US. Yep. Right. So when I got there, I realized I need some equipment for this dog, this Dutchie that I've got. Wait. Were you in Canada or were you in the US? Well, I was in North America or somewhere. It's not important exactly where. Okay. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, you know what I need? Some like training gear, some collars, some leashes, harnesses. So guess where I got it from? It sounds like it's a big lead up to an old mate, Mach LaPointe. Mach LaPointe. I just yep. got under Canon Dynamics yep. and had it shipped to me. Mm. Didn't matter where I was in the US or North America, actually. Yep. I had Canon Dynamics ship it to me. It was wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, then I'm out training this Dutchie mm-hmm. in his all of his fancy equipment. The yep. Dutchie that I got from House Hamburg Shepherds mm-hmm. using the equipment I got from Canon Dynamics. Yep. And then I was training in dog park because that's how I train. Mm-hmm. And there were some people and they had some <laughs> sort of unruly behavior from their dog. Yep. And I think at this point I was in Ashland, Virginia. And uh, fancy I, that. I thought, I said to them, they were like, oh, can you help us with this dog? I said, no, fuck you. I don't no, want to. I'm a dog part daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, fuck you, I don't want to. Yep. But I know someone who will come to your home here in Ashland, Virginia, while you're at work and will do like a little bit of a training session with your dog while you're gone. No way. You're not talking about Melanie Benway. It was Melody Benway I was Bloody talking hell. about. Kindred Canine. So I g- gave those details. Anyway, so I went on to, you know, do some cool things with this Dutchie. Mm-hmm. And then I had to come back to Australia yep. and I brought the dog. Wow. But you know what I didn't bring? What? Was any of his equipment. Oh, he left it all there. I left it all there. Okay. So I needed all new gear. And guess where I got my leashes, collars, tugs, harnesses. Dog mills. Blah, 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 blah. Buffed Central. Einswick dog clip. Einswick Buffed. Yeah. Yeah. And when I got here, I realized, oh, you know what? I had been traveling this fictional dog in my dream around mm-hmm. in the crate that he was shipped from uh, House Hamburg Shepherds. Yeah. Well, I need a custom crate now. So I had a custom crate bill by the Buffed. Wow. Einswick.com. Einzawiener? Einzawiener. Yeah. Einzawiener. Yeah. So after your dream, when you woke up, did you wake up with a boner? You've ruined it.
Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And across the table from me is our favorite guest, our most popular guest, the person who's been on the show the most, other than us. It's Bertie. Hi, fam. How are you? Well, how can I not be cool being with my family? I love it. Not only are you one of our most favorite guests, you're also like- The, the third host much, of the show. Pretty much the third host of the show. <laughs> oh, guys. Yeah. You're an honorary TCPer. Thank you. Now I'm blushing. <laughs> but it's so nice coming back. You know, when you go soul searching for a little while, you kind of narrow it down to what matters in your life. Mm. And this matters to me. Like, it's incredible how I make not time for much else, but for certain things I'm I'm making time. And I love being here. I love the vibes. I love hanging out with you too. I love that you always make me think. Thank you for having me. And thank you, TCP community, for letting me be here. It's cool. Hey. Hey. Normally at the end we say, what have you been up to? But I want to do that at the start today. What is going on? <laughs> You've got a couple of workshops and stuff. Yes. Before we get into our topic, what's the deal with this kitchen table thing? We haven't spoken about that much. What is that? Well, thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand. It's a bit confusing because it is a new concept. So I think... What I'm doing or what I've identified is that a lot of people, they want to work with me, but they find it overwhelming to work one-on-one with me Mm -hmm. or it just doesn't suit their needs. But also they have topics that I can't honor in a big setting. You know, like I can't talk really about how your dog has taught you something with 70 people. Mm -hmm. Like this is kind of like you get access to me in a small group in my house And we can really accommodate for you and you get to hang out with like-minded people and it's there to show you what your dog is teaching you, lessons, how psychology can help you and support you grow in this and how to celebrate our dogs. Like this is not a a psychology workshop. It's a celebration workshop of you and your dog and your friendship and how to be the best buddy to your pal. Like it's not intimidating. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of confidence building in there. It's very gentle And it's just to really tap into how amazing teachers our dogs are for us and to celebrate their friendship. Okay, cool. So, and did I see right? There was like six people. Yeah. Probably sold a few of those. So limited spots. Limited spots. It's in the Blue Mountains. Yeah. It's in my house, literally around my kitchen table. The first one is on the 24th of July on a Saturday in the morning. It's only half a day workshop. Mm -hmm. And if you have a group, you can also book a different date as a close group. But the idea is basically that we hang out. We chat about the story. You get to tell your story. This is the chance to tell your story mm-hmm. with your dog and celebrate and give you some tools to enjoy your friendship even more with your dog. Cool. Do you know um, what startles me about this industry is how many people do need someone to talk to and have a conversation about their well-being, mental health well-being, and won't do it. They keep locking themselves in this repetitive pattern where they don't embrace the need to go and talk to somebody. Like I've had people that have talked to me about issues before, you know, like mm. they've done, they've come along and done NDTF courses. They've pulled me aside, told me all about their problems. And I say to them, you should be speaking to Birdie, not me. Like I'm not really in a position where I can help you with some of this. I can listen and be a friend. I can let you download. But what you're actually talking to me about and the, the conversation we're having is much deeper and more complicated than what I'm able to help you with. Thank you. Yeah, I, I hear that. And I was a bit confused because I was a bit confused how to 
cater for that need, but then also understanding what the dog community wants and how they function. So I hope that people know, don't be intimidated by me or anyone, like everything you're experiencing, you're talking to a person who had and has her own mental health struggles. Like, you know, we're pretty equal. Nobody's, nobody's totally clear on that front. Not like everybody has something, yeah. you know, we all have, we all have something regardless of whether we know it or not. There's always something that's impacting or impinging our life. It doesn't mean that you're locked into a deep psychotic issue. Sometimes it's just that you've got something that's preventing you from moving forward and having somebody being able to help you address that and get through that and unlock that is extremely helpful. So, And that's why there's a lot of times where people have brought this up, like I said before, where they've talked to me about this and I said, I do think you need to talk to somebody about it, have a safe space where somebody does have the training and qualifications and the understanding of what they need to do to work with you on this subject matter. What I've learned in the industry is like I am so used to being always in the deep end of things that I'm learning now to be gentler with people because I'm just, you know, I'm so used to doing really deep soul surgery that I'm learning to be more gentle. So there's for every path along your journey, for every step in your journey there, hopefully in a year is a some form of support there. Mm. So I'm wanting to do quite the bravery workshops in a big setting where it's quite not going too deep. I think I went too deep in the past and it scared a few people. So I really want to give you the pace that you need and you can do big workshops where you can be quite anonymous and you can just suss me out a little bit, you know, and then you can go into smaller workshops. And I do one-on-ones again, like I'm starting to have um, coaching and psychology again, one-on-one. I'm very picky because I have to honor my own needs. So there is usually a bit of an intake process just to make sure that, you know, you get what you want and be a good match. But I'm, I'm learned the last year that I come from a clinical setting and I had to learn to go like, Hey, people have different paces mm-hmm. and, and I want to honor that. So I'm learning. So please still be a bit patient with me, but I'm really trying to Listen and listen to your needs. But what I can't do for you is that you take responsibility for your healing and you make the first step, whatever that first step is. Mm. I can't do that for you. I want to acknowledge you on something that I'm really happy to have you in our life. Number one, you've been a massive help to Narelle because she pulled off a really successful seminar on the weekend. She was she was amazing. But a little known fact, which is something that I did want to talk about, is Narelle by nature is an introvert. Like she struggles in crowds and you have been one of the people that has really helped her find her feet in that. She did an amazing job and I was so proud of her watching her up there taking command of her subject matter. Like she's, her subject matter, she's an absolute um, professional with that. There's very few that are better than her in what she talks about and what she knows. She's amazing. However, her struggle is getting up in front of crowds. Like that's where she gets a lot of anxiety and You wouldn't think it when you watch her actually hit the stage and when she starts talking and she goes with it, but you have been one of the people who has helped her unblock that inability to act on that. So huge kudos to you and a lot of appreciation from us. Thank you. But it's the same for me. Like Narelle helps and believes in me all the time. Like I told her I'd marry her in a heartbeat if she wasn't married to you because (laughs) we just have each other's back the whole time. So we very often cheerlead for each other, you know, like I think this is leading into the topic, guys. We haven't Mm. announced yet what we're going to talk about. Well, I think every time that we talk about you coming on and ask what people want to hear about, the thing that always comes up and it's been two years in the making. Yeah, and I've been avoiding it. (laughs) Is the topic of imposter syndrome. Yes, hello, imposter syndrome. Hello to my life. (laughs) So that's, that's what you've told us you're coming in to talk about today. 
Because it does come up a lot. And I think that I'm not exaggerating when I say literally every time we say that you're going to be on the show, people demand that that be the topic. So it finally is. Yes. So thank you for giving me an opportunity for self-reflection and growth. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's actually, it sounds simple and a lot of articles online are made simple, but to me, it's not simple. I actually made my life a bit hard because I'm like, oh, I really have to prepare for this topic because it's much wanted and needed. And then in the end, I created a big nod in my head. And then today I'm just going to go with my gut. <laughs> But I think this is such a big topic because we have it in the dog industry quite prevalent. I can see it everywhere where I look in the dog industry, there's this flavor of imposter syndrome. And I think maybe I should define the definition of what in the literature imposter syndrome means just so that we're on board with everything. Mm. So an estimated 70% of people feel like a fraud at one time or another. And the imposter syndrome is really defined around not trusting your own ability to perform. Like you can't look at the success you had in your life and go like, oh, I've earned that, I've done that. You always attribute it to its luck, for instance. It's quite normal to be worrying about your performance that, you know, you maybe haven't done a good job, but it's irrational. Like the imposter syndrome is really out of context and irrational. It's to a point that it holds you back in life. Like you're missing out on promotions. You have a real dissatisfaction with your job. You don't put your hand up. You either over control the situation and you put too much effort into it as a coping mode and you become a perfectionist around things or you go the total opposite way and you basically avoid it altogether and you procrastinate till there is no development and growth. But it's really around career and success, technically, the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that's, to me, a bit conf- interesting because, to me, the imposter syndrome is just like a tip of the iceberg. To me, there is, from a psychological perspective, this can go back to early childhood trauma, you know. Like, it can be huge because you maybe also think that you're not worthy or you're an imposter in friendships or in relationships or you don't trust it or you have a real, what we call a mistrust schema, like you haven't learned in life due to life events how to trust other people and yourself. So the imposter syndrome is more around work technically in the literature. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys ever felt like that? Oh, yeah. Of course. I think every time, like for me, yeah, here's Pat's two cents on while we've got an actual expert, I'll just throw out my nonsense theory, is I, I feel like everybody who is reasonably successful at some point suffers from it. And like you said, probably not everybody, maybe 70%. Right? Well, then you have the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Yeah. So, so if you, that is the other thing, you know, and I think in the dog industry, sometimes I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So Dunning-Kruger, I think is very similar, right? But that's something that Certainly in my old job, used to plague me kind of all the time. Like when I was in the army, I was always terrified that I would be exposed as a fraud in the job that I was doing and therefore was really good at it and was thought of in the the niche that I was in, was thought of as being, you know, very, very good, but because I was terrified of being found out to be shit at it. And it's a job that if you're bad at, you'll get killed, right? So it's like a constant pressure. And I remember hearing about that Dunning-Kruger. I remember like hearing it and being like, oh, okay, that's why I feel this way. That's why I'm I'm so obsessed with this. And Do that's you want to just maybe explain quickly what the Dunning-Kruger is? Yeah, so Dunning-Kruger is, well, that's the name of the guys who sort of uncovered the phenomenon. But it's where if you imagine that there's – any on any given topic, if there's 100 things to know, right, on that topic – People who are 
well, they explain it as being people who are less intelligent. I don't always necessarily agree with that, but maybe it's just newer into it, where if they know five things of the hundred that can be known, but aren't aware there's another 95 Mm. things, you speak with authority and confidence and are often very successful because you just carry yourself in a way like, I'm the expert. I know everything about this. And the truth is they actually know like 5% of the things about it. Whereas the opposite then occurs and the people who do know, say, 80 of the 100 things, they know the 80 of them, but they are also critically aware that there's 20 they don't know, right? And they spend their whole life worried about that 20% that they don't know. And as a result, when they speak, they don't come across confidently and they second guess themselves and all kinds of things. And it's because they are so much infinitely better than the other person but they know they don't know everything. So they are concerned of always being uncovered as a person who doesn't know everything. But if you don't know what you, if you don't know there's things you don't know, you can speak with 100% confidence. I was the most confident in my first year of my psych studies, you know, and I think the funny thing is you can be an imposter and you can have done in Krugers at the same time in your life, just different areas. Like you can be on both boards, right? But I just love that you shared that because technically in the history of the literature, especially the psychologists who coined that term, the imposter's phenomenon, Susan Imes and Pauline Rose Clans, they thought it's a female. As a, women really struggle with that, that they struggle to attribute success to feelings of inadequacy, like they couldn't have that. But now the literature is more open that it's gender neutral. Mm. I think it's so funny that – it's not funny, but I struggle with the concept so much because sometimes I feel like I'm an imposter – But then I'm like, of course, I feel like an imposter because I have nothing in common with the people I measure myself against. You know, then then it comes to the topic of the context of where do you feel it? And I think the true crux of this all is that you have to have the wisdom of what is the measuring bar. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, it does. Hearing you ask the question about whether you suffered it. I remember distinctly when I got a job to go and train the police over in the UAE. And the problem for me is... It wasn't that I, I didn't know the subject matter. It's just that I got very little information from them on what they wanted. Mm-hmm. So I kept asking the question. I was sending emails backwards and forwards, mm-hmm. like, what do you want? Context. And they, they said, we want this. But there was no layering of what they wanted in order of how to actually you know teach the subject matter. They primarily just said, you're the authority on this. We want you to come over and teach us this. And that for me didn't sit well. Like I struggle with that the whole time. Like every time I'd probe them for questions, it was like a redacted form coming back with very little information on it. And I'm thinking, I'm just looking at this and I'm thinking, fuck, I over-engineered it. Of course, you know, I sat down there and I literally wrote everything I possibly could. And I, you know, I, I had all of Lindsay's books open up there and I was filling my head with things that didn't need to be filled with. And I was sitting on the plane. It was a Qatar airline and I was flying. I had to fly over to Qatar and then back to United Arab Emirates to get picked up. And I was mid-flight. I woke up from a sleep and I'm thinking, I'm a fucking imposter. I'm going to get over there. I was in the air over there by myself going to a country where I've never been before with a subject matter that I didn't know exactly what they wanted. And I woke up from a sleep. Like I can remember the adrenaline surge. And I was having a panic attack. I was sitting on the plane going... They're going to think I'm an idiot. I'm going to fucking fail at this. Like everyone's going to look at me. I'm I'm a huge fraud. Mm. And this just kept going through my head. And I, I was sitting in the plane seat going, <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> like breathing heavy like this going and sweating profusely. 
I actually calmed myself down because I had an incident like this in diving once when I was down like 30 meters of water and I had another incident wet like this. But I literally sat there for a minute and I thought, I don't even know what they want. Why am I getting so overly stimulated about this now? Why don't I just wait and go there and see what they want? Worst comes to worst. If it's not what they want, I can just say, look, I won't charge you for this and I'll go home. But you know, I'll look like I've got egg on my face. But I got there and I realized they knew information, but what I was telling them was much more expansive and much more in-depth than what they actually had been taught on before. Mm. So in effect, there was nothing to worry about, but the torment that my mind put me through at the time was incredible. I'm sitting on the plane. I was so agitated and I had no one to talk to. So I didn't didn't have someone to sit there next to me and said, let's workshop through this because I'm having some feelings on this. I was literally alone with my thoughts on a plane going to a strange land that I'd never been before. It says so much about the human, like how the mind works, right? Like unknown, like unknown context. Yes. No preparation. So you can't rely on past experiences because that's what most of us do. We have an internal success bank, right? And if you have an imposter syndrome, that's really what you have to pay attention to. You have to keep track of your successes. So you learn to acknowledge them fairly, probably with mentorship and everything. But in a scenario where you're totally going into the unknown, what the fuck are you meant to do? Like you have nothing to measure it against. And then you have high standards. So you function by over-controlling the situation. So you don't avoid it. You don't procrastinate. You go like, I come and here is my 20,000 literature reviews. And I have a lot of compassion for that because I'm very similar. <laughs> so yeah, it was that's a, scary. It was terrifying. Yeah. Um, it was probably the worst experience I've had. I've, I've had it before in different things, in different things that I've done, but never liked that because I've always had someone to bounce it off where I could say, oh, look, you know, can yeah, we have five minutes? For. Yeah, right. Where you can ring someone up and saying, look, I'm having some reservations about a few things. Can we sit down and talk about them? And then generally your tribe will help build you back up and they'll talk if to you. If you have a good tribe. If you have a good tribe. So right. that's the crux. And this is why I went on a massive detour and, and didn't want to talk about this topic. Because if you have more than an imposter syndrome, so imposter syndrome actually clans the psychologist who defined it, wanted to call it a phenomenon because it's just, it's not a mental health issue. It's just what happens. It happens in life. It's quite normal. Like 70% of us have it. Mm. But very often it's combined with other things, right? Mm. So if you, for instance, don't know how to get your own needs met, you don't trust people, people are scary to you, you don't know how to build healthy relationships, all of a sudden your tribe might be not good advisors. Mm-hmm. And then you can get really into trouble because they maybe cheer you on without holding you accountable or say maybe you should look into this or maybe they, they are too hard on you. You know, if you've, I think what's really important to understand is we recruit people that we invite into our lives for a certain role. If you are aware and you've put effort into it and you've done self-development or you have knowledge or good gut instincts or intuition, you recruit them for a healthy position. Mm. If you haven't looked at that shadow site, you recruit them maybe for another critical person in your life who contributed a lot to you feeling like a failure or feeling like an imposter. And then you listen to them and then you maybe go for feedback, but it's very unhelpful feedback. Mm. And it made it just worse. So- A lot of these articles about imposter syndrome say, go and find advice. And I'm like, yeah, but you first need to learn how to get good advice. Mm, And identify good from bad advice, Mm. helpful from not helpful. Yes. So, So the imposter syndrome to me is in isolation, easy. It doesn't come in isolation. Mm. 
So I think part, if you struggle with imposter syndrome, the number one medicine advice, make sure that you know who has your back, that people get you, they are on the same journey. You would take compliment from them and you would take criticism from them. Like they are your cheerleaders. They're not there to criticize you into the ground. Even if it's a mentor, a teacher in a professional context, really make sure that you have people in your life who want to see you win. Mm. It's a tricky one. Like, is there a line in the sand where like a a healthy dose of self-doubt becomes imposter syndrome? Because I think I, I definitely suffer from that all the time, but I think that that's healthy. I take advice from everyone that will give it and I try and filter that. Like I try and observe people's advice through the lens in which they give it. And some people, you know, you see some people, especially in this space, right? So like there are Facebook groups dedicated to ridiculing trainers who put out information, right? And so like stuff that they say is of really not that important to me, right? But then, you know, sometimes you see posts or people send you stuff and it that can sort of manipulate how you might feel and the type of content, the type of work, you know, that kind of stuff that you put out. And I think sometimes, well, for me anyway, paying attention to that and sort of looking at the lens through which that feedback was given can be really, really helpful to then, you know, course correct because like I want to be received well so, by everybody. So there's a difference here. So imposter syndrome means you have negative consequences in your life. Either you put so much effort into it that you can't do anything else in your life. Like you have such unrelenting high standards that you put too much effort into it preparing or you totally avoid it. Mm-hmm. What you're telling me is the middle ground. You just mm. want to bring your best version forward. That's mm. growth. Okay. So one is. So what you're saying is, I'm killing it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. But th- the other thing is also, and I think what's important to notice is, we have so many different topics in our life where they can show up in different strengths. So I think you're killing it in the dog industry, right? Like I'm, I adore what you're doing. But there are so many other topics, you know, you could be talking about a hobby, you could be talking about a certain aspect in a relationship, you could be working on communication, you could be working on a psychological personal skill. And every time I think when we're trying to grow in an area that needs practice, it's quite common to feel like an imposter. Mm -hmm. And I think it's part of human nature and I think it's actually part of your journey in life to understand how do you react under pressure when you feel like you need to do something and you're just learning it. Do you learn by I put so much effort into it that I'm getting through really quickly but then I have an, a healthy cutoff where I'm like now I need to find maintenance speed because it's not healthy to be over controlling and over putting effort into it all the time and you have to have maintenance speed or do you just avoid life and not even go there and and I, I have to say in the dog industry I think – the most common aspect in personal areas is more procrastination and avoidance. Like, you know, like people that are attracted to me, they usually struggle with that topic, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I've been there too. Like, please, everyone who's listening, I haven't figured it out. Like, I always talk about things I'm struggling with. But the key to imposter is that you learn to understand that you start being curious about what do you do when you're pressured? What do you do when you have to learn something or perform? And do you miss out on something? That's the question here. Mm. Is there a breakdown in the literature about the percentage of people who go one way or the other, like people who suffer from imposter syndrome and therefore get obsessed? You just obsessed? made me feel like a fraud right now because I'm like, I didn't do my literature <laughs> enough because I can't answer that question. <laughs> well, I was just, I was surprised to hear you say that there's people who get obsessed with it and therefore study nonstop because that doesn't sound like imposter syndrome to me or, or anyone I've 
had that conversation with. The only people I sort of engage with on that level usually avoid getting involved Ooh, at all. Then let me give you examples. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. Like it's probably happening a lot and people don't Ooh, recognize yes. that's what it is. So when you are an imposter and you cope by over-controlling and putting too much effort into it and mm-hmm. over-preparing, Glenn, remember you're one of the favorite people you have that has your favorite quote? Her name is what, Angelina? Maya, Maya Angelou. Angelou. Yeah, she has it. Dan David Bowie has it. Natalie Portman has it. Serena Williams has it. And they are very successful people Mm. down the top. So I think that the more successful a person is, the less we think that they have it. But I know that I've had lots of female clients coming to me and they were in super successful positions like Australia leading positions and they're like, I feel like a fraud every single day. But my husband tells me I'm not. I'm running multi-dollion bill of businesses. Mm. It's just they don't show. Like, it's you know, a lot of these things are internally happening. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I guess, so it's not all bad necessarily, because if that's a driving force that drives you to success, like at what point is it healthy versus not healthy? It's the dosage. Like, I think it's quite healthy that then I've realized after, so in my first year of psychology, I thought, you know, I'm amazing because psychology looked so simple. And I think a lot of these articles about imposter syndrome make it look so simple too. But then you're in year seven and you go like, I know nothing. Fuck me. Like I know literally nothing about the human mind because there are so many options. And in the end, I think being humble is always important and being overprepared is really important. But I also believe in in regards to burnout and self-care, you have to find that maintenance bit and you have to allow yourself to fail sometimes and you have to allow to tell yourself, I don't know that. You have to be comfortable sometimes just to own it and go like, I can't answer that. I'm not sure about that. And that doesn't make me a failure. That doesn't make me an imposter. That just makes me human. Mm. So that sounds like a blending of the Dunning-Kruger and imposter syndrome, like a collision of the two of them coming together. Yeah, I think that somewhere in the middle is most of the time the healthy dose. Yeah, like that intersection of both is probably what what keeps you honest and keeps you driving forward. But most of the time you have to experience both first before you can actually do that. That's mastery knowing. Mm. You know, that's true wisdom that you really – not reacting to your life. And I think that's when we know someone has worked on themselves or is healing is that they respond differently. You know, the response is that, for example, when – I was joking before when you said, oh, you did not know the literature on that. I didn't, I said, I felt like, oh, you make me look like imposter. It was funny. But inside I'm cool with that. I'm like, whatever. So it's, it's how you feel inside. And that's true healing happens usually in quiet, tiny moments, then have big moments, Mm -hmm. but that you just know, oh, in the past I would have gone home and would have lost sleep over it. Or I would have not looked at the topic or never touched it again. That's when we know you're on a good track. And I think being an imposter is quite a normal journey because 70% of the people experience it. So welcome to the club. We all have it sometimes. I like your point on it's in the dose. I think that quote itself, the difference between the cure and the poison is in the dose. Dose. I apply that principle regularly in a lot of things that I do. It's just a good methodology to be aware of in the back of your mind, no matter what you're doing especially when we're in our field, when people start talking to us about the use of compulsion, the use of force, when the debate of prong collars and remote trainers come up and people are saying, oh, they're terrible, they're this, they're that. Well, the application always applies to it's in the dose. 
everything that we're doing is in the dose. It doesn't matter whether we're food training, it's still in the dose. The dosage rate is always the controllable factor that people need to be aware of. And that's where regularly people go astray is because they're overdosing on it. They're overdosing on the issue of what other people are afraid of. Yes. And and I think having another really helpful point on this is that you have to learn to talk about it. Like if you remove fear or doubt, or, you know, if you talk about that shadow side, as soon as you stop ignoring it, like that's how you remove power over you is you call your power back when you go like, I can talk about this. I'm honest about this. I can own this. That's where growth happens because you look at it, right? So if you, for instance, are in a new scenario and you have a job that's quite overwhelming is that you go like, hey, I find this difficult. Can I please talk with someone about it, get some support? You go to the person that's also really important that you feel like it's the right person to you. Having a vinge to someone who is not important into your life and doesn't get that or doesn't get that topic might be not so beneficial sometimes. Mm. And I think it's, I, I made that mistake sometimes. I mistakenly thought that venting helps it can help sometimes, but it's a sometimes thing. Essentially, what you want is that you have someone who gives you good feedback and gets you, but venting can't be the only strategy. So getting the tools to communicate about how you're feeling, what you're feeling, learning to identify your triggers, learning to respond rather than react to your triggers, that's true growth. And I think that's part of life. That's the journey of life. I want to ask you a question on that sure. when you're talking about venting. Yeah. I think venting, like occasional venting, is very productive and very beneficial. But I also think that venting can be rewarded to a point where it can start triggering whinging. I'm with you. So I have been a person that vinged too much and I've been a person that was always the number two person that people vinged to. So mm -hmm. I was the person doing it and I was the person receiving it. Yep. In hindsight, wish I would have asked for permission to that person before I started whinging. I'm like, do you actually have capacity to sit with me through this? Because then it can become a healing experience, mm. right? Like, can I just process? But I think if you're just whinging and you're getting in this trap of a cycle of whinging is your thing to do, that's just avoidance altogether again. It's a negative mm. feedback yeah. loop, right? Yeah, and it does give you relief, but it doesn't give you growth. You mm. can repeat patterns or you can evolve patterns. Mm. Binging is very often you just repeat, you don't evolve. I'm talking on the principles of people I know and staff that I've known and so forth like that, where we encourage people to vent when they need to get something off their chest. Sure, that's important. It is important. And I had to do it recently because we're experience very rapid expanse at the moment. Like our business is growing. We're moving into a lot of areas. Thank you. But I had to talk to the owners of the company and tell them a few things that I'm struggling with you know, because we're moving so quickly and just making sure that I have adequate support staff that then come under me that I can plug people into different areas. Because I just said, look, I, you know, I know that you rely on me a lot, but I can't do it all. Like mm. I just can't. And I said, you're putting me in a very precarious and a difficult situation where I'm worried that I'm going to lose my effectiveness and sure. I'll end up toppling this. So again, it's a bit of imposter syndrome. It's a bit of concern, but I don't want to find... But there's um, also a really healthy part in this. There is, but I also don't want to find... Because I started finding relief in whinging about it too. And then I found that... Because I, I had to pull myself up because I thought, I'm whinging to staff about it. Then it becomes unproductive because I'm not 
being a true practitioner of telling people, you know, vent, don't whinge. Because my senior staff that come to me, you know, I've said, look, if you've got something to get off your chest, get it off your chest. And then we have a mm-hmm. bit of a session where we sit down and talk about the things that are troubling them and, you know, like the workaround on how we could do things better. And But there's and intent behind it. There is intent behind that and that's good. That's yeah, I That agree. I don't have an issue with. But I do have an issue because – and I'll use myself as the case study here – is where I started to feel relief by whinging about it on a regular basis. I kind of felt like anybody that was in distance, I'd grab them and have a whinge to them about it. And I thought, I don't like that about other people. I'm doing that. And I was fortunate that I caught myself on it and called myself on my own bullshit. But I don't think sometimes we always have the capacity to do so. No, because it's. I think it's also a sign of being overloaded. So when you engage in unhelpful behaviours and you have no awareness around it, Yep. It's very often a sign of you being stuck, right? People don't like being stuck, so why are they stuck? So very often they just haven't had a breather in a long time or they're under the pump. To be in a position to be aware of what you're doing, you need to have resources left in your tank. If you're caught up and your tank is super empty, it's really hard to take an objective look at your life and go like, hey, what am I doing that's helpful and what's not helpful? Mm. And I think that's sometimes what we see. And, you know, I've been there. I remember last year that my husband took me aside and he's like, babe, what's happening? Like same conversations all the time. Nothing's moving. Nothing's shifting. I love you, but you need to do something, you know. And I was lucky that I had someone who I loved and cared for me to pull me up on it. And it wasn't pleasant at all. hated it. But it was really necessary. And I can see it a lot in, I'm very often getting tagged in self-care and burn-up topics in the canine industry. And let me tell you, I'm stopping commenting because a lot of people just whinge to me, but then I give them very tiered resources. I give them resources. You can have a read, you can do something, you can do more, you can do an intense version. And I just hear crickets. Uh. So I'm like, look, you're on your path. I wish you well. But most of all, I wish you that you see what you're doing. And I wish that you have a breather that you can actually assess your life because you need a breather to do that very often. When you're middle in the storm, you don't see it. Mm. Does that resonate? Yep. Yeah. Very much so. A lot of the time, whinging is just like the blow-off valve of the pressure system, right? So it's like it's just I need to – vent a bit, vent a bit, and it, it doesn't so true. It doesn't help because the, the pressure system just stays full of pressure. You're just letting out the overflow. But that it's, becomes one of those self-licking lollipops, though. Yeah, so, but you've got to find a way to relieve What's the that? pressure completely. Mm. Right? I've never heard that. Self-licking lollipop where you just no. go around in a circle. So you get oh. stuck in a system. Oh. It's like the magic pudding. It's just a pudding that regenerates itself all the time. It never really... Like Sounds it. like my favourite dessert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're right. Like, and then you can become the whinger. I had to unfollow one of my friend's wives on Facebook. She just whinged all the time, right? Yep. And that was her thing. And the day that I was like, nah, this is it. I can't handle this anymore was on daylight saving when she was like, oh, great. Daylight saving. Now I'm up an hour early. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like you're complaining that the time's changed and now you're up an hour earlier. That has no impact other than that you could have slept in or just now that you're up an hour earlier. I was like, I can't handle this anymore. Like I just unfollowed her. But the thing is, I think the difference between whinging and complaining is like complaining is towards an outcome. Yeah, no, you have to please 
TCP community super important. You do need to tell people when things don't work for yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. You I need agree. to. You, you yeah. have to. Yeah. So vinging to me is this self licking lollipop, magic pudding <laughs> kind of thing. Yep. That doesn't have an it doesn't outcome. Help. It, it doesn't, doesn't help. It's just a, a state of yuck. Yeah. Yep. For the person that's receiving it, and for you. However, please, and this is a skill that I wish all of you have. Advocate for your needs. Learn to communicate. The best thing you can do if you're on this path, go on Instagram, follow a couple of therapists who specialize in communication, Nadrado Web, some relationship counselor. There is amazing free resources out there how to learn to communicate really mm. simply. Book a session day. with Birdie. Thank you. Mm. But help yourself. It's so important because we do need to know when we're not okay. We need to learn to advocate it. That's a bit of a skill too. Mm. So, yes, binging happens. I do it. I've done all sorts of poison levels on <laughs> binging. Yeah. No, but I find this, like, it's the thing that drives me the craziest. Of all personality traits, whinging it drives me insane. And, and I, you know, I say it to Rip all the time and everyone I deal with, I'm like, hey, don't come to me with just a problem. Come to me, like, in search of a solution. I mean, mm. if you can't think of one and we'll in work on it together. In search of a solution is, like, or even if you go, like, hey, I'm processing thing. Even if yeah, the first step fine. is just, like, help me process what I'm experiencing because yeah. I very often appreciate that. I'm very often so caught up in things, but my husband is really good at pro- helping me yeah. process. And I think the difference between, from my point of view anyway, between venting and whinging is like venting is something you say to people just as like, I need to get something off my chest. Whinging is just, I am venting means I'm stuck in this situation. I know there's no way out of it, but I just need someone to hear about it just so that I don't feel so isolated. It's letting steam out of the Yeah. But whinging is when you're like, oh, my life is hard, even though there's a fix or, or you're not interested in a fix. You just want to complain about it. Because one of the things like from my point of view, like I don't whinge about being busy because I- did that to myself. I am constantly taking on things that I shouldn't. I should say no to more people. And when people say like, how are you? And I go, oh, I'm drowning in work. That's me venting. It's not me whinging about it because I know how to stop. I can just drop a few projects. I can yeah. just stop doing things. Mm. Like I can do all that. The only people I say that to that when I say to people I'm drowning in work is only people who have asked, how are you? And I go, oh, well, like, and I, you know, have a relationship with or people who are trying to convince me to take on more, and I'm like, I can't because I'm I'm drowning. And it, so, it's so true. <laughs> my grandmother was infamous in my life and a lot of other people's lives. She was a very strong. Ooh. She was a. You've heard about her, yeah, Nana heard. Cook. She was a very strong matriarchal presence, and she used to have this classic line because she was. Her and her twin sister would always compete with each other over who was the sickest and who had the most medications. Yep. So I'd ring my nan up and I'd say, hey, nan, how are you? She said, how am I? Terrible. That's how I am. And <laughs> I used to laugh at the end. She probably was. Like she probably she probably <laughs> was feeling terrible. But just the fact that she would always whinge about that. Yeah. Like everybody knew that when you're going to get on the phone with her, she was going to tell you about everything that's going wrong in her life. Yeah. So the whinging thing for me is a problem because like you said before with your your mate's wife or whatever it was, they look at adding things to the problem. Like they look at building like a tower of misery of, you know, like, oh you know, it would be a nice day, but there's a couple of clouds in the sky. Oh, this coffee would be nice, but there's probably just a bit too much milk in it. Like they're always looking for the it's, sting, the the extra bit of negative in it. There's nothing 
please don't let me draw this in on genuine mental health where people. I was just going to say because yeah. you know there is also a part where you just can't help it, right? And like, and like I do. that is so, yeah. so. So this is this is for someone who has in that moment no mental health issues. It's just how they. True. A coping Acknowledge strategy. That. So, so that. I don't because there's you know we have to be kind at the end. But what I do here is, I'm a huge fan of being authentic. But being authentic is also you need to create a culture of being authentic. And if your culture of being authentic is whinging, I'm not your go-to person. Like authenticity, I don't know how to bring that in or what I'm really trying to say. But well, vulnerability think- is not. Vinging. Yeah, so I think it's fine to complain about something when you go to someone and go, hey, I'm in a situation from which I don't see a way out and I want your help. Yes. And so when you yeah, frame it like that productive. and you go to someone and say, hey, my boss treats me poorly, I'm overworked, whatever it could be, and you're like, I have reflected on this and I don't see a way out, I'm coming to you with this information because I'm hoping that as an outsider you might see something that I don't. Right? Or even if they can't fix it because fixing is not very often a thing, but they can sit with you and be empathetic. Yeah, so that would be then venting, right? In my in my yeah. head when yeah. you go to someone and go, I don't expect anything from you, I just need someone, all I need to borrow is your ears. Yes, is, and sit with me through it. Yeah, they're not a bunch looking. of – they're not looking to find the cloud in the silver lining. Yeah. But when you have a real issue and you go to someone and you say, hey, I've got a real problem and this could come across as whinging, but I've thought it through, I can't find a solution. Mm. But when people come to you with a, a complaint for which there's an obvious solution, like when, yeah, the classic one you see, like especially with kids, is like, I'm cold. It's like, you're at home. Put on a fucking jumper. We have clothes. You could just put on more clothes. All right. Like, yeah, that's a ridiculous example, but it's a, that's what I mean. It's like it's easily within your capacity to fix this problem. Yep. Just fix it. And if it's like if you're wearing all your clothes and you say, I'm cold, and then I go, okay, well, I can find a way to help. Well, let's let's set something on fire, right? And like I, let's make some heat. I also think that if you, for example, I'm just thinking about group settings, I think it's always, to me, a really nice indicator when someone says, hey, can I borrow you for five? Do you have capacity to listen? I know I'm not getting whinged at because that person already put themselves in my shoes, mm-hmm. right? So so if you're in a group scenario and there's a lot of pressure because I'm coaching at the moment also um, dog businesses at the moment. So I don't always do one-on-ones with one person. Sometimes three or four people with a similar problem book one session in and share the cost. And if you're in a culture that goes through a lot of stress at the moment, it's important that the team learns to navigate that with different people in the same situation, right? So sometimes a person has capacity that day to listen and to help you process and find a solution and sometimes another person doesn't. Mm. So I, I really made a huge change in my life that I started asking people, I'm like, do you actually have capacity to listen today? Mm-hmm. And if they say no, that's cool. Also means you have to be cool with that if someone says no to you because a lot of people aren't cool. They still guilt trip you. Not my problem then though. Mm. How did we get to whinging from imposter syndrome? Oh, my God. It's probably, I don't know. Well, I think it's a part of the cycle where- Welcome to the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, is a, it is one of those rabbit hole conversations because it does, you know- I warned it, you. There's a lot of these things that tend to spiral out of control when you start having these negative feedback loops and these negative thoughts. Like, I think I'm in the same boat as you, Pat, and predominantly Bertie as well, and many other professionals where- I think the older you get and the more you're in an industry and the more you're seen as like an elder of the industry, people want to come and talk to you. You know, mm. it's it happens in most tribal situations. It happens in most business situations. And it, I've got a growing staff rate at the moment. I think I, we employ between 70 and 80 people. So I've got people that do want to talk to me and I want to talk to them and I want them to come and talk to me. I want them to feel safe that they can come and talk to me 
and they can bring things up and I don't want them to think that I think they're whinges or anything like that. I have told staff, you've got to stop whinging about these things now. Like I have addressed that issue because I said, now you're looking to just keep pairing things together. Like this is a problem. That's a problem. I said, everything is now a problem. And I'm the same as you, Pat. I like people to be solution focused or at least come and say, okay, there is a big group of problems that I don't know how to work it through. You know, can I draw down on your experience or what do you think we could do or who could we go to to try and fix it? That I love and that I always want to be a part of. But just coming in and being Eeyore and saying, you know, like, oh, the sky is going to fall on my head. And again, the caveat of non-mental illness related you know, like healthy person, healthy mind and so forth, but just they're being rewarded off complaining about things. That's what I don't acknowledge and I don't want to work with. I want people to be more of, yeah, look, Glenn, we've got some problems. Here's a couple of things that I think we could fix it with. Or what's your experience? Like you've been in this industry for quite some time. Do you have any thoughts around it or do you have any other people around that might be able to fix it? I just realised I have this metaphor and I think it helps me very often when I don't know what to do. I think if we acknowledge that our energy, our attention is currency, it's currency in the universe, it's your bank account. You get stuff, you get energy and you get put energy out. It's like your literal bank account. In those situations, I think it's really important that you go, like, where does my energy travel? What am I investing in? Am I investing into hot air or am I investing into a resource, a solution? And if you do that well, you get something back. And also I believe that if you are feeling like an imposter sometimes, that you normalize it, that you go like, hey, I'm not alone in this. It happens very often. And the difference in an imposter is that they can't attribute success to the internal resources. They attribute it to luck or just being, you know, with the right people. But also then having the wisdom when you go like, actually, I do have a deficit in knowledge. That's true wisdom because if you really tackle life full, you will be in both boats sometimes. Sometimes you go like, wow, like for instance, for me, technology, I always have learned that this is something I have a deficit. It's not an imposter syndrome. I actually have to put effort into it because it doesn't come naturally to me. Mm. So it's having the ability to go like, do I know myself enough that I'm feeling like an imposter right now and I can't attribute the success to my skills or do I actually have to train up? something i think that quote from socrates know thyself is extremely powerful that's the purpose of life (laughs) it is the it is the purpose of life and it's the one thing that i try and draw down on yeah one of them yeah it's one of the things i try and draw down on when i'm aware that i don't know about something or if sometimes i'm aware that i'm not aware if that makes sense I try and think about like, who are you and what are you? Like, what are you doing and what are you trying to represent and what are you what are you in control of? I know that's a lot of deep questions to ask, but I think it's an important time to sit down at peace with yourself sometimes and say, who are you now? Like, yes. where are you going and, and what are you doing and what is the ethos of who you are and yes. what you stand for? But that means that you, oh, it always shocks me. It shocks me because I've been doing that for so many decades For that, you actually have to be quiet sometimes and be with yourself without distractions. You know, you have to check in with yourself and listen to yourself, listen to the whispers of your soul. And I think that's really missing in life these days. Mm. But would you say, Bertie, that it's also a bit of an evolution as well? Like who you were 20 years ago is different than who you are today. Totally. And I do like I come to peace that I probably will feel many times in my life like an imposter because I just like to dive into new things. Mm. And this is actually a really interesting point. If you are a trailblazer in something or if you feel like, you know, you 
challenge society on some things or you're really strong about your values and they might be not popular values, you will most likely feel more like an imposter simply because you don't have yourself to compare to anyone or or no one can validate it. So being an imposter is not always an indication of you doing something wrong. Or let's say the feeling of I'm not sure if I'm doing a good job. I think it's so important that you learn to have a success bank of you and you keep track of your successes that you learn, hey, even if I'm in a situation that I'm unfamiliar with, I have a track record of figuring it out. I have a track record of being curious. I have a track record of knowing how to get help. I have a track record to be able to communicate what's actually happening. And I think if you have these skills, you can tackle life. Mm. Here's my therapy session. <laughs> right, everyone gets to hear. You critique me on this. <laughs> Why? That's, oh my god. <laughs> so, so this is how I feel about it, and I, I think that you. I I feel like I maintain a pretty healthy balance on this. Is like keeping in mind an amount of self doubt that gives me outs from things. So. I'm kind of a generalist in the dog space, right? I'm not really a profound expert in anything. Mm -hmm. And so often I get asked to speak on and teach to experts on specific topics on their thing. Uh, And I find that sort of a bit, you know, that can be a little bit overwhelming. Like I have government agencies that run detection dogs ask me to come and assist them training. And and that for me is very intimidating because I'm not a detection guy, right? And the way that... I have always managed it is first of all, I feel like a little bit of self-doubt is quite good because it could for me anyway, because it it keeps me pushing forward. But I try really hard not to talk about things in terms of absolute unless they're absolutely true. And so, you know, that gives me outs. So when I'm talking to someone about anything that I'm not a million percent certain on, like there's no way out, like, you know, core foundations of life, I usually, I'm very careful in my words and I- you humble. I, well, I usually, it, humble is probably the summary of it, but the way that I do it is that I use words that give me an out in case the person knows like something I don't. And I feel like in most of my interactions, especially with people who are experts in something, even if they're not, even if they're a new pet dog owner, the language I like to use is usually in a way that if they right there and then told me something I didn't know, I need to be able to drop what I just told them as the truth. I need to be able to reframe that and take into account the thing they just said to me. Isn't it though, like, I don't know how you see it, but to me, it's like the more expertise you have, the more things become a dialogue rather than a presentation of facts. Yeah, totally, totally, exactly that. And so that's one part of it where the way I present information is usually like, well, in this circumstance, I would do this, right? And then when someone drops some knowledge bomb that I had no idea, I go, well, now it's a new circumstance. So it's a meeting of minds and it's an invitation to have minds with similar interests to... Yeah, so I'm careful not to presume that I know more than the other person I'm talking to. Like, and I may very well, but I, I try and just use language that doesn't set that tone where they go, oh, he is talking to me as though he knows everything and I know nothing. I try very hard so to- you try to get them curious? Yeah, and but also keep my own curiosity, right? Yeah, I think that's the best. Like I, everything you say, I think that's actually shows expertise because the higher up you go, that's how it's usually done. Like usually when I'm- I got invited to be part of a committee and I'm still quite gobsmacked that I got part of that. But 
there are experts there, but it's always about what do you think about this? How would you do that? You know, what are your observations and your experience around it? And I believe this open-mindedness is so important. There has been enough knowledge to establish the basics, for example, ethics or safety, and the rest is evolving together, essentially. And I mm. think that's true. And But I also think it's really important to have the confidence to just go like, that's not what I'm doing. For example, I don't like court work. Won't touch it. Don't mm. want to put the effort into becoming an expert in court mm. work. Don't mm. do it. So you also have to, if you feel sometimes like a fraud, it's really important that you just also know what you don't want to do. Yeah. I think the second part to what I was saying, it ties Sorry. into that, is that I also am just really honest about where my capabilities end and when yes. when I just like to be really upfront with people when I step from like, okay, this is a black and white topic where I can identify black and white. I know that and this is how I'm prepared to speak about it. And then the moment I step into a topic of gray zones, I usually acknowledge that and I say to people. Communication. Yeah. So like to use that exact example, like I've and, and I sometimes take different routes. Like I got asked to do a seminar for detection people in the States. And I said, hey, look, I'm not an expert in this. I am an expert in manipulating drives and motivation and communicating with dogs. But for the specific purpose, there will be nuances that I don't know. For that gig, which didn't end up happening because the world shut down. But then I said, do you mind if I bring someone with me? that is the expert in that. And that's when I, I spoke to Alison in the States and was like, hey, would you be prepared to come with me? And maybe you never speak. Maybe you're there and never do anything if it stays within my wheelhouse. But maybe if I get to the point where I'm like, I don't know, these people are paying too much to have the guy that they've paid say, I don't know, right? Yeah. And so I need someone there that I can say, hey, can you answer this for me? Because that's outside my wheelhouse. And the moment I put all that in place, it was – Total relief. I was like, oh, sweet. I'm happy to do this. Because so you, you know what you need it. Yeah. But then I've had situations where I couldn't bring an expert. And that's where I say to people, like, just so you know, like, this is where my knowledge on that topic ends, right? Then they go, yeah, cool. We're after this other thing that you know, right? Like, we're interested in maximizing the, the you know, people might say, oh, actually, for our operational roles, we don't want your opinion. We don't. We're not even interested in it. It's more of our development roles. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Perfect. But see, that's how you disempower the imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome thrives on you over-preparing or having unrelenting standards. So what mm -hmm. you're doing is having clarity about what you actually want. Exactly. What are you after? So from unrelenting standards, you go to relenting standards. Yeah. So you've learned how to help yourself to come into your comfort zone. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. In a exactly healthy it. perspective. And so I feel like for a lot of our listeners, and again, this is just Pat's fucking waffling ideas, but- I feel like we get a lot of people who are trained their own dog and are now looking to start their own little dog business or whatever. And they're the ones that suffer from imposter syndrome a lot because they're like, oh, I'm going to be going into people's homes. I'm being employed as the expert. And often the advice, which I think can be- I don't know because imposter means that you can't acknowledge the successes you had. I think a lot of people starting their own businesses are just intimidated by the journey ahead. Okay. Well, then I think that's where we need to talk a little bit because I don't know that we have that many people who are pushing to talk about imposter syndrome that think about it in those terms because- That's what I mean. That's why I struggle to talk about it because the literature is so defined around it. Yeah. Whereas well, I think this is a whole new topic. This is how do you deal with change? How do you deal with embarking on a new yeah. journey? That's different topics. Because I think that the majority of people who are having success in this industry are pretty comfortable and know- like they see it. The people who are asking for help with imposter syndrome are the people who are so riddled with self-doubt that they're not 
stepping into doing it, yeah. I think. Yes, and they're very often also the people who struggle to reach out for help. Yeah, right? and well, because often the rhetoric that we get told in our industry is that people need to stay in their lane, right? So you're a pet dog trainer, like you teach obedience, whatever, don't be dealing with aggression cases. And it's like, okay, but like someone had to do that first, right? Like there comes a point where you do have to step outside your lane. My advice to people in that space has always been like, do that with caution or do it, but be aware when yeah. you're doing it. I don't know what the literature says, but- I think a lot of people who identify with imposter, there's so many other things coming along, like low self-confidence, no trust, not sure how to deal it, poor communication skills. You know, there's, it's a whole bag of, it's not an isolated syndrome. Mm. And that's why I think she wants to call it a phenomenon. Mm. But what I, I hope if anyone is listening, you are not alone. This is just another, you know, if life's a video game, this is just a level two tackle and master how do we summarize this? Get to know yourself, know your triggers, identify where you need help at, learn to get help, be kind to yourself, be patient, but keep going. Mm, keep going. Keep going. I agree. I think that's sage advice. When I circle back to showing you some appreciation for the help and the impact you've had on not just Narelle's life, but our life, mine as well. Like your, your words, they smolder in my mind. I often draw back on them because when I'm going through some of my own self-doubts or some pressures, I think about conversations we've had here in this studio. I think about things that we've talked about in the kitchen because you do drop some real gems from time to time and, and it does have impact. So I recall on conversations where I've had with Narelle where she has felt like an imposter. Yeah. And people come up to me and the same thing that you said before, another lady came up to me and said, Glenn, if you weren't married to Narelle, I'd propose to her right now. She's fucking brilliant. She goes, her information is great. And I said, no shit. Like I'm the test bunny for you guys. <laughs> like I'm the guy that she sits there and reads things to. And I'm the one who said to her, not just the one, I'm one of the many people who have said to her, you need to teach the world this. Like you are fucking brilliant with she's this. Amazing. She's incredible. Like she's really, and I don't even think people have seen what Narelle can do yet. Like she's never really released her full intent on the world. Like she's- Be prepared. I'm not saying this because I'm her husband, because like I said, I have to be the test bunny on this. Like she reads a lot of things to me, which are well and truly over my head. I have no industry knowledge on any of this, but she'll bombard me with things. And I'm thinking- this is probably things that you really need to be either teaching at, you know, peer review levels. I think it was you that wrote on the on when she was yeah, doing was, the lecturing. I, I snuck your little note you, like you, in school. Yeah, <laughs> during during Narelle's seminar, Bertie wrote to me, Narelle really should be teaching this at a, a university level. And I agree, she should be. Like there's probably people that she's well and truly above in this field because she's accelerating so fast in it. Pat's doing that with a lot of what he picked up in the Napopo stuff. I know that belongs to Michael and Bart, but, you know, Pat had an interpretation on that, which I really found really easy to listen to because he deep dived into it so much and he expanded on a lot of it, which I found very difficult to get from the original source. And that's not to say the information wasn't sound. It was great. It was good. It was just that he he found a way for me to – be able to understand it in a way that I like I had a lot of penny drops when I was listening to him lecture and talk to other people and being on the show. So what I'm trying to say is that there are a lot of people who have probably gone through these doubt mechanisms themselves, like who am I to be saying this, that really are brilliant and really have an incredible way of delivering that message. 
and agreeing and supporting your stories before where you're sort of saying, you know, the best way to understand this is if you are really well versed in this, if you really have studied the literature and you are speaking to peer review people and they're nodding their heads and looking at you going, wow, that's pretty damn good. I think that's a good indicator for you to say, I am doing the right thing. And there's no harm in asking people to peer review you. Like if you do have some of these doubts, which I have done before, I've certainly adapted this skill from people like yourselves, the people that I'm sitting with this in the room and other friends and and mentors in different industry where people have said to me, why don't you just talk to people who you're not in competition with and ask them what they think? Like you can get a review process from them. And when I have done that and I've sat down with people and said, what do you think of this? Some areas they've come back and said, that's excellent. That's brilliant. Something I've never thought of. Or they've said, why don't you consider adding this? Like this would be probably very beneficial. And that has given me confidence to go out and say, great, I can now talk on it with with more confidence. You just hit point something out that I wish for everyone listening. If you don't know where to start, start on being coachable. Yeah. Start, start on learning how to ask for help and be coachable because it makes life so much easier and it's so much more efficient. Unless you haven't had the experience, how amazing it feels when you had someone help you along the journey and it's, you know, it's very professional. It's such a relief because you always have a backup. You always have someone to ask for. Even coaches have coaches. Oh, you're talking to someone who spends most of her wage on other coaches yep. in her life. Yep. And it is, it is one of the nicest things you can do for yourself. Mm. It, if you haven't had that experience, I wish it to you. I really do. Being coachable is, I think, one of the key things in life. So, yeah. like, I don't, I don't put out any instructional content without first running it past people. And I have key people that I send different things to, and I send it. You know, like, there's people that I could send stuff to, and they'll say it's amazing. Whether it's just me farting into a microphone, right? Like, but you would because, have a fan club for that. <laughs> well, well, because they're supporters, and they they're not people who are willing to give me negative feedback, right? Because I don't know that I want or need that. And speaking on the Nipopo topic, Glenn, like I have that short course out. So it's just a 40 minute video that's on my website on my interpretation of it. Before I made that public, I sent that to like five or six people and I actually sought out one of the people I sent it to. It was the first time we had ever communicated and I had seen her post. She was really anti the system and certain people in it. And I was like, Hey, can I borrow 40 minutes of your time? I was prepared to buy it because I want your honest feedback because you're not a person that likes me and you're not a person that likes what I do. And I want to hear, I want to see the arguments poked in this. And I didn't change anything. I got some good feedback, but I didn't change anything. But at least at the minimum, it prepared me for when someone came at me like with intent to upset or provoke me with the same information that that lady was able to give to me with kindness. Mm. You know what I mean? So like I approached her and said, hey, can you poke the holes in this? And she did. But then I was like, thank you. Like, I know how to build a shield around those holes that you've poked. Mm. And when someone comes at me with it to be mean to me or, you know, like whatever their intent, I've got the answers. I've pre-prepared That's them. That's it. Like, you, I think it's so important that you are not worried about negative or critical feedback is that you have to learn to prepare for them, that you yeah. have to learn to live with them. And also I think, and this is my bugbear, you need to know what you stand for in life. Yeah, totally. You need to know your values. You need to know where you put your energy to support those values. Is it always comfortable? No. Is it meant to be always comfortable? No. Are you meant to suffer? No. But you, you're meant to grow. And I think having friends like 
I very I do the same thing. Like I always give my things to other people. Like at the moment, I'm part of a, I'm writing a literature review on the topic of that nature is a basic human need. I'm sending it to worldwide leading therapists. Two months ahead before the publishing time, just so I get roasted beforehand. Yeah. So so I can change it and I can understand and understand their perspective. Yeah. That's sparring. Like anyone who fights, this is one of the interesting things to me on an intellectual level that intellectuals have much to learn from thugs that fight because that's what sparring is. You get in the ring with someone who can find your holes and not fucking flatten you when they find it. So when you drop your guard a little bit, they just touch you on the nose and go like, hey, if I had intent to hurt you, I could have knocked you the fuck out then. Don't do that again. And that's what sparring is. And people who are in the physical realm, they know that shit, right? Mm. You mm. need you need someone who has no intent to be hurt you to teach you lessons. Find the holes in your game and show you where they could have hurt you. So that when someone comes at you with intent, you're like, oh, dude, I've been, Glenn's done this to me. I've been down this path. We've had this argument, but it was in a controlled setting and I've learned how to deal with this. I've had that negative See, feedback. See, but then you're adding to your success bank, right? So this is the medicine for this whole topic is that you learn how to deal with these things. So even if you then would be put in a very different scenario, you have to process in place from a different topic. Mm. And this is how you build confidence, essentially. Yeah. And this is the medicine for anything doubt related. Yeah. You know, I won't, we've gone a long time without mentioning Clubhouse and my app doesn't work unless I'm on Wi-Fi at the moment, but I was in a room a while ago, huge, huge room. I was just sitting in there and there was, I won't mention their names, but there was a worldwide intellectual in there and he got teased by a comedian and he crumbled. And it was very funny to me because he'd never been teased before. And like, it was a battle of the wits and they do the comedian has 50% of the IQ of this guy. But in that moment, he demolished him. And it was like, it was clear this guy had never been teased in his life. And he couldn't understand that he was being teased and that it was playful and that he could have just played back. He went to full intellectual fight back mode and the whole thing crumbled. It was very funny to listen to. But it was like, oh, dude, you were not prepared for that. And it happened in a public stage, right? So I feel like that's where you got to accept criticism from people that, will give it to you lovingly so that you can prepare for when it comes unlovingly. I think that's then tapping into you actually need to trust certain people. And yes. A lot of people struggle with exactly. that, right? Yeah. But you need to know that sometimes someone having criticism towards you, especially if your background was more where you were overly criticized with punishment and all those things that you have to relearn that criticism sometimes gives you wings. Yes. Mm. Agreed. Um, Should we wrap it up? Yes. yes. Shall we call it the rabbit hole session? Like- <laughs> so all the things that we've discussed, are those the kind of things that would happen at your uh, round table? No, this is too deep. This, this is, is too, too deep. deep. This is one-on-one stuff. Okay. So I'm learning to funnel people in. I have my big workshops that are gentle and they just get people curious and make them think. The kitchen table workshop is probably in the middle somewhere because you're in a smaller setting, it gets a bit more intimate. One-on-ones is you're ready, you want to work, you you know, you want to do change. And that can look in different ways. That could look like that you come one-on-one, but on Zoom or you come to my house. Or I have people who come together in two or three people as a group and they have a very specific topic and they want to talk about it. So intake's usually there, like we have a good chat so we understand why you're there. But I'm really excited. I can't tell you. I actually cried yesterday because I was so happy to be working again and enjoying it, you know, like booking people in and really feeling, hey, 
I feel good about it. I'm not dreading it. I, you know, it's it's a beautiful place to be right now. So I'm really happy at the moment. It's exciting mm. for you. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. There's so many cool things happening, like lots of really scientific literature review, and then but also very alternative things. So I'm very happy. How do people book all your stuff? So my website drama keeps continuing. <sighs> it's yeah. Website people. No, she's actually really lovely. It's just life doing its thing. So best is to shoot me an email. Hello at birdieoshitty.com. Please make sure you're on Facebook with me because I announce most things there on Instagram, birdieoshitty, holistic psychology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just talk to me. Don't be intimidated by me. We can find some form of support for any comfort level. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Same. I love you too. <laughs> well, you should see the awkward faces. <laughs> I'm not awkward. I, You're I, not. Sorry, that is true. But Pat's like, ah. <laughs> I do love you guys. I yeah, I, I look forward to like this for me is church. It, it is. It's church. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's perfectly explained. It's a good time for me to come and you know, like I I used to find it very intimidating in the early days when we turned the microphone on. I nearly puked every time in a car park club before I came on. Yeah, it was it was it was difficult, you know, like to hear and and then to edit yourself and listen to yourself and go, oh God, listen to that fucking idiot, meaning me. But <laughs> but I have the same thoughts when I listen to myself. I'm though. I'm more concentrating on being present in the conversation now and and listening to people telling some wonderful tales and being vulnerable and expressing some of the things that have happened to them that they are willing to share online. And I think, wow, that's impressive. They're talking about things that have happened to them that are very personal and they're sharing it online for people to benefit from. And and the love and the appreciation that's shown back to us from the TCP community has been it's incredible. Phenomenal. It's it a really beautiful is. Com- it's such a beautiful community. Like at Narelle's workshop, it really was there. I love having yeah, um, really nice. access to the TCP community. They're really good people. They are. They're very good. Yeah. I love them, yeah. So thank you, TCP family. Thank you for being in my life. All right. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. The best way to support the show at the moment is to tell a friend in real life that they should listen to it. Say to someone like, you actually know, hey, you should listen to this. You should tell it to three friends, not just Three friends, yeah. Three friends. As many as you like. That's the best way to support us. The other way is Patreon. A few bucks a month gets you access to a ridiculous backlog of training information. I was skimming through there looking for something the other day. There's a lot of fucking information in there. And it's members only too. Yeah. So right now I'm working on a huge project. I am drowning. (laughs) I have bitten off way more than I can chew, but I'm enjoying it and I am persisting nonetheless. Your snippets look good. Yeah. I'll be another one. There'll be another one. Oh, it'll be out by the time people are listening to this. Mm. And what I wanted to say about it was in that, because of the amount of work that I'm putting into it, there is room for one sponsor on that. There'll be more details coming out about how we're going to sort of determine that. But there's room for a ad in that Patreon long video that's coming out. So, I think we talked about auctioning it, didn't yeah. we? So if there's if we've got a few people interested in that spot, yep. and we're putting it up to be available for auction. Yeah, mm. but- People I'm thinking of is because it'll be uh, it's a worldwide audience, so people who will get the best bang for their buck is bigger dog industry, like insurance companies and shit like that. So they're the ones that would get the most you know, benefit benefit from a, mm. a, an ad in that space. Yep. 
that. Patreon. The other thing you can support us through is Teespring. Get some cool merch. We get a couple of bucks for every T-shirt we sell. Yep. So that would be awesome. You can look cool. And promote our gig. Yep. If you want to get in contact with us, jump into the Facebook discussion group. That's kind of like the best way to stay connected with the community for now. That's the best way to do that. And if you want to talk to me or Glenn specifically, shoot us an email. We are info at thecanineparadigm.com. And don't forget to like us on the gram. Yeah, follow us on the gram. That's where Glenn shares spicy memes. Yep, very tasty memes. Our social media strategy is thus. Facebook, the group, that's where we can discuss with people and talk about things. Mm -hmm. Instagram is where we share spicy memes and follow our community and what they do with their snippets of the show. Yeah, we do. And email is how you can talk to us specifically. If you message our Facebook page, we'll probably never see it. Um, Send us an email. Okay, goodbye.